Glory to Jesus Christ. Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their histories, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is a story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith, courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by Eastern Christian Publications, where you can find the prayers of the Catholic Byzantine Daily Office at ecpubs.com and by easternchristianmedia.com, a broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's easternchristianpublications.com. Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loya, your host. On this marvelous, brilliant day of the Sunday of Palms, or Palm Sunday, also called in our tradition, the Byzantine tradition, Flowery Sunday. But we also look forward the next several days to an incredible week, a week that we call the Week of the Bridegroom in the Eastern tradition. And it's a week, of course, where we follow the suffering, the passion, suffering, death, and eventually resurrection of Jesus Christ. The Mystery, the rhythm of death and resurrection, of martyrdom, of dying to something to rise to something else, of shedding blood for love, for redemption. This would be a very appropriate time to visit once again a very, very critical global issue, which is also an issue in the church, in particular here at Light of the East, the Eastern Churches. And I'm talking, of course, about the situation in Ukraine. And we have a very special guest who is a great friend of us here at Light of the East. He is, of course, Father... Peter Galadza, who is Professor of Liturgy at the Sheptitsky Institute in Ottawa, Canada. Slavia Susu Christu, welcome, Father. Amenike, Father. Glory to Jesus Christ forever and ever. Well, Father, you sound very bright and chipper for this. Of course, it's a bright day Sunday, but for the what must be a heaviness on your own heart about what's happening in Ukraine. There is a heaviness, as there has been for, for months, in fact, for, for, for years. You mentioned the, the, the blood um, I suspect many of your listeners are aware of the fact that uh, the Yale professor Timothy Snyder a couple of years ago published a book about the history of what uh, is, in essence, Ukraine, European Russia, Poland, Belarus, uh, between the years of, of 32 and 46. And the book is entitled Bloodlands. Uh, and, you know, we see um, that theme kind of repeating its, itself again, it's, uh, it's, it's very difficult for me in particular because for 23 years, you know, off and on, I, I, I worked uh, in Ukraine. Uh, my wife and uh, our three children, we lived in Ukraine for a whole year when I was dean of theology at what eventually became the Ukrainian Catholic uh, University. So um, it, it is, I, I quite frankly, I, I never thought I'd, I'd, I'd see this situation, you know, the, the, the turmoil. Uh, and, you know, I've been doing a fair amount of, of, of crying during the last several months. And, uh, by the way, I should mention that, you know, your concern is, is greatly appreciated by uh, uh, 
by people within the Ukrainian Catholic and Ukrainian Orthodox communities. Well, thank you, and also extend all of our prayers uh, to them from all of us here at Light of the East, especially myself personally. Let's look at the situation, Father Peter. I have a, I have a, I'll start off with a, maybe a, a difficult question, maybe, just to clear the air. We know, and we've covered here in Light of the East, that this all started with the Maidan, you know, the protest in Kiev on the square. And uh, largely what we understand here at Light of the East, and what we've talked about, we have other guests on there that you know, of course, your good friend Alex. And what we talked about was who was out there. What was what was that all about early on? It was about mostly young people standing up for what was right, you know, for truth and justice and so on. But then little by little, here's what I've been getting from sources that I would consider to be, you know, otherwise pretty reliable. I won't mention what they are, but, but I've heard this and I want to bring it out in the open to get your perspective on it, that not everybody there in the Maidan were made up of these, these students or these people who necessarily were just fighting for a closer connection with the West and for democracy and so on, that there were so-called uh, right-wing extremist groups and other kinds of groups there, that this was something almost that uh, they're, they're saying that, that America backed this whole thing. They basically, almost like agitated Putin to do what he's doing. So this is what I'm hearing. I just want to clear the air on that. Do you any perspective on that? Yeah, I, I'm glad you asked it because, of course, as long as there's this perception out there that this is some kind of, uh, you know, ultra-nationalist takeover, I mean, who's going to want to support that? So, first thing, are there or were there ultra-nationalists on the Maidan? Well, out of the million people or other days 300,000 people or other days 100,000 people, uh, of course, there, you know, in a crowd like that, you're going to get people who represent diverse views. And there is a group called Pravi Sector, the right sector, you know, to, to translate that into uh, English, which espouses rather, you know, nationalistic and ultra-nationalistic uh, views. The thing to keep in mind is that that group is about as powerful within the overall Maidan movement as the extremists in Greece are today or the extremists in Hungary or the extremists in France. You know, all three of those countries have their ultra-nationalist movements going on now. The point is that the Maidan as a whole uh, is in no way dominated by those groups. And just to, to give you, well, let, let's, let's just, you know, present this in, in a way I think that may help convince uh, more of your listeners. For starters, you can be very, very sure that the European Union, uh, the United States, Canada, all these various countries, for example, the Prime Minister of Canada, you know, went over to Kiev uh, a couple of weeks ago to, to support, you know, the new government. None of these Western countries would be so vocal in their support of this movement if it were, in fact, some kind of, you know, ultra-nationalist uh, cabal. Uh, secondly, on the Maidan itself, there are all sorts of, of people who are actually Russians in terms of their ethnic background, and then certainly there are many Ukrainians who actually speak Russian. Okay, so, you know, Russian speakers, ethnic Russians on the Maidan. In fact, uh, just a couple of days ago, I, I saw a very moving interview by uh, with a Maidan captain, because, you know, the, the, the group, you know, they had to organize themselves. And uh, the Maidan captain is a Jewish guy with his kippah, you know, with his yarmulka. Uh, and, in fact, the National Post in uh, late March, the 
National Post, which is a you know a rather a prominent uh, newspaper here in Canada, carried a full-page letter from 50 or 60 Jewish leaders in Ukraine. It's an open letter to Vladimir Putin, in which they say, "Don't look to." Ukraine for anti-Semitism today. Look at your own country. They 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 point out these are the this Jewish leadership of Ukraine saying that if there's any place where there's been a rise in anti-Semitism during the last year, it's been in Russia. And so, the the Jewish leadership of Ukraine is very very supportive of, of the Maidan. They have repeatedly said that they are very impressed with the way that Ukraine has evolved during the last. 20 years and um uh, that's really the story uh that is the the, the you know the, the main story that you know it, that's the big picture uh what obviously is going to happen is that that Putin and his fellow travelers they're they're going to use whatever means they can to just brush this off as some kind of uh, you know extremist uh, movement and and the point is the Maidan, this whole movement, it's it's certainly not anti-Russian either, uh, for all the reasons that I've mentioned. Now. Well, it's it's certainly anti-Putin and it's anti-corruption. But I would hate to think that people, you know, presume that Vladimir Putin and his supporters are the only Russians in the world. You know, <laughs> um, so anyway, uh, th- that I think is very important to keep in mind. But you know, if you don't take my word, then you know, you just have to ask yourself, well, why are all these Western uh, countries supporting this now? You know, then there's this accusation, well, you know, the United States, you know, has, has intervened in some inappropriate way. Well, what what would one consider to be an inappropriate intervention? Well, I mean, I don't know, uh, having a senator go over and say, well, we're happy that, you know, that this country is moving in the direction of a, a stable democracy. Uh, is it possible that there's, there's money, covert money being funneled in? All of that's possible, but... That is nothing compared to the pressure that the people of Ukraine and the governments of Ukraine have experienced from Vladimir Putin uh, ever since you know he came to power in the year 2000. So, you know, it um, you know there, there, there's no perfect solution, there's no perfect movement, but you know if you consider what they had uh, up until the, the Maidan movement and, and what they have now, I mean, it's 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 night and day. I mean, it's. Uh, you know, it's it's a significant difference. In other words, it was it was a movement in the right direction. Father Peter, along with this uh, perspective, some will say, "Well, uh, Yanukovych was." Uh, I know this may be hard for us for you to hear, but <laughs> but it's, again, it's the perspective. Well, Yanukovych was the duly elected president. He shouldn't have been ousted. That was a democratic process. Yeah. Well, the, the point is that um, there are all sorts of people who are duly elected. I mean, let's keep in mind he fled. Yeah. He, he, he didn't have to flee the country. I mean, they, 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 why, why does the U.S. government and other Western powers, why do all the Western powers recognize the government? Because the guy who claims to be the duly elected president of Ukraine has fled the country. <laughs> you know, he, he could have stayed. He had enough military to, uh, well, enough military to, uh, to invade Poland if he had wanted to, you know? And I mean, yes. just, you know, uh, so he fled the country. There, there's a vacuum. And um, the point is that duly elected, and yet someone who had done such a horrific job. You see, if there's any problem with the Ukrainians, and, you know, I'm of Ukrainian background, so I, I can say this, and I think all of my fellow Ukrainians will agree, 
problem with Ukrainians, in fact, many Eastern Slavs or Slavs in general, we kind of, you know, we're really patient. We put up with a lot of garbage. We just, you know, kind of lower our heads and go from day to day instead of working on a regular basis. Because what happens, we, we, we put up with, you know, this really bad situation. And then what happens? We explode. <laughs> well, been, you know, for 23 years, I was going to that country and I was saying, I cannot believe what these people put up with. <laughs> and why, where does that derive from? It comes from the fact that one occupying power after another for the last 800 years has taken away the dignity of these people. So, of course, you know, they're willing to just mope along, you know, kind of get along. But there comes a point where they just blow up. And then that's what's happened. We're going to talk more with our esteemed guest, Father Peter Galadza from the Sheptisky Institute, Ottawa, Canada, about the situation in Ukraine. And in particular, we're going to talk about it from the spiritual perspective, perspective of the church. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to byzantinecatholic.com. That's byzantinecatholic.com. Click on the radio button and then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. You're listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. The Tabor Life Institute which is dedicated to the formation and education in the theology of the body. To find out more about the Tabor Life Institute, you can go to taborlife.org. That's taborlife.org. Especially if you're interested in conferences and retreats, in particular for youth, young adults, and also for those of you who speak Spanish. That's taborlife.org. Welcome back to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loya on this glorious day of the flowery Sunday, the Sunday of Palms, the entry of our Lord into Jerusalem, but also as we look towards days ahead of blood, of suffering, of death, but of victory. And how appropriate it is this coming week that we are talking about similar situations right before our eyes in Ukraine. And so we have a very esteemed guest on our program today, Father Peter Galadza from the Sheptitsky Institute in Ottawa, Canada. Father Peter, you give us a wonderful perspective on the sort of the geopolitical framework here of this whole situation. But what about now, how it's affecting you, the church, the, the spiritual perspective, the faithful, the clergy? Well, you know, um, the situation in Ukraine... Uh, would, I think, be rather surprising for a lot of people in the West, because usually when you've got uh, any kind of political activity going on, you don't think of, you know, the Catholic Church, the Orthodox Church being in, involved uh, that directly. Well, what one needs to keep in mind is that precisely because of the Soviet persecution of the Church, today... In Ukraine, the most respected institution in the entire country is, in fact, the Church, whether Catholic, Orthodox, or Protestant. 
And as a result of that, and in, in other words, what, what basically happened is that people realize, you know, as, as it says in uh, Psalm 145, put not your uh, trust in, in princes, in them there is no hope. So, you know, all of the secular leaders, the, 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 the journalists, you, you name it, those people do not have uh, anywhere near the credibility that the Church has, because, of course, the Church during the entire communist period, uh, especially in the case of the uh, Greek Catholic Church, I mean, it was an underground institution. Uh, a lot of people don't realize that um, Amnesty International uh, declared uh, the Ukrainian Greco-Catholic Church the largest illegal religious body in the world during the Soviet period, because there were four and a half million people who had no legal status. So as a result of that, you know, communism falls and the Church uh, emerges as this very respected institution. So, you know, as, as Patriarch Svetoslav Shevchuk has said, where the people are, the Church is supposed to be. And, and by the way, what this means is that the churches have had a very good moderating influence on the Maidan. Father Peter, I can tell you, I was so impressed. In fact, to be honest with you, I, I got these pictures, those incredible pictures of the priests standing there in the square in front of the soldiers with guns, standing between the soldiers and the people. Beautiful, incredible pictures. And I actually used them in homilies and talks and so on. I held them right up. I said, boy, look at this. Here's some real priests. Here's some real witness. It was it was amazing. Oh, very powerful. And, and by the way, uh, some of those pictures also include uh, priests of the Moscow Patriarchate, which is also you know, one of the, the, the very good stories that, uh, you know, the, the Moscow Patriarchate within Ukraine, in other words, the Ukrainian Orthodox Church Moscow Patriarchate, because as, as people hopefully know, there are actually three distinct uh, Ukrainian Orthodox jurisdictions in Ukraine today. And, and usually the Moscow Patriarchate jurisdiction is, you know, tends to be, well, let's put it this way, everybody would just expect that everybody in that jurisdiction would be pro-Putin. Well, surprise, surprise, there's a very strong contingent that, once the local um, the local population to be respected for its needs, for its culture, for its language, and certainly for its church, because um, you know, God forbid that Russia. Well, I'll give you give you an example of the kinds of things that are happening right now, uh, and this will be very interesting for the the Byzantine Ruthenian Catholics. Um, in, in Russia, the Byzantine Catholic Church, or Greek Catholic Church, has no status. So even though there are more than a million people of Ukrainian background in Moscow and environs, and certainly a lot of people in the Moscow or St. Petersburg area who are from Transcarpathia, where the Greek Catholic Church, you know, the Byzantine Catholic Church, is, of course, very strong. Nonetheless, for those people... There is not, well, right now in Moscow, there are two Ukrainian Greek Catholic communities. One meets in an apartment, and one meets in a school gymnasium. That's all that they can get out of the Russian government. So what's happening now in Crimea? Russia has taken over Crimea, and so the rights, the status of the Eastern Catholic communities in the Crimea, that status now is under a big question mark. They, uh, you know, earlier on there were reports about the kidnappings of uh, Greek Catholic mm -hmm. priests, um, you know, various forms of discrimination. Uh, so, you know, it, 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 what I was leading up to is, I mean, God forbid that you should have an extension of 
Putin's control throughout Ukraine, because instead of having the, the, the real democracy, the real pluralism that has been evolving in, in, in Ukraine slowly, but, but quite uh, vibrantly in, in, in other instances, uh, you, you get basically uh, a retrojection to, to the Soviet period. Yes. Father Peter, how has this affected you personally in your work as a priest? Well, uh, only because of uh, the, you know, the the connect, or primarily because of the, the the connection that I've had with Ukraine for so many years. Um, quite frankly, any time there's there's any kind of event going on here in Ottawa, and remember Ottawa is is Canada's capital, and so there are all sorts of you know rallies, uh, prayer um, meetings, etc. Uh, I really, I mean, I just you know they don't have to ask me twice if I don't have to invite me at all. I just, I just show up and. I keep on telling the people at at these these rallies because you know we we do prayer services there and I say listen the church never engages in partisan politics right but a church that is not involved in the political issues that relate to the common good that church uh, is not following the mandate of the gospel. You know, there's, there's, you know, the gospel is not about some kind of just, you know, me and Jesus or some kind of private affair. I mean, it's, you know, Christ died for the life of the world to right. transform the world. All of everything we preach has social political implications. So, you know, we're not involved in 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 the partisan politics. Uh, but we are involved in trying to get people to think of the common good. And so, for example, uh, a little while ago, you know, we were doing a more memorial service for the what they call the Heavenly Hundred, the Nebesna um, Sotnya. The you know, well, now it's more than a hundred people who died on the Maidan. And um, I began, uh, you know, right before the Vichnaya Pamit, you know, everlasting memory, eternal memory. I said, you know, we've been asked to sing both versions of the Vichnaya Pamit, the everlasting memory, the one that's more prominent in or you know, more popular in eastern Ukraine and the one that's more popular in western Ukraine. I said it is crucial that we as Christians make sure that in all of our activities we are bringing Russians and Ukrainians together. Yes. It is crucial that we understand that this is not about nationality in that old nationalistic sense. I mean, is this against Putin's policy? Absolutely, 100% yes. Is this against Russians per se? Absolutely, 100% no. And and the people, fortunately, really responded very, you know, very positively to that. And the other thing that uh, I think is very indicative of of how you know the Ukrainian government responds, the um, the prime minister. Um, Acting Prime Minister Yatsenyuk uh, announced that there will be uh, social benefits for those who died on the Maidan, but on both sides. Mm-hmm. In other, there were about six or seven, you know, snipers, uh, police officers who died. They will also, their families will also be getting increased social benefits. Because the point is to to bring people together, and there were some yes. people who were you know very annoyed. They said, "Well, how could you know these these, these people are murderers?" Well, you know, tragically enough, those guys were just following orders. Now I realize yes. that at one level that doesn't get them off the hook, but the fact is that they were following orders. It's you know the the, the people 
who who have to be tried are the ones who gave those orders. You know? mm-hmm. So, you know, the role of the Church in all of this is to constantly be proclaiming the word of reconciliation. And our, our patriarchs, Svetoslav Shevchuk, Patriarch Filaret of the Ukrainian Orthodox Church, Kievan Patriarchate, and, and various individuals, whether Moscow Patriarchate, Protestant churches, certainly the Roman Catholic Church uh, in Ukraine, they've all been saying, listen, the struggle for justice does not allow for rank or resentment divisions that will pit people against each other on inappropriate bases. You can only pit good against evil, not one ethnicity against another ethnicity. And and this is why I think, you know, precisely because the churches are doing this, they've got real credibility yes. in, 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 in Ukraine. And I don't know whether Alex Kuzma a couple of weeks ago mentioned that uh, on the Maidan, uh, there was a, a prayer tent that was going 24 hours a day. The stories, yes. the number, the thousands of yes. people that went to confession. Yeah, and, and prayers for the, uh, the Russian soldiers as well. Well, absolutely, absolutely. You know, so, you know, people need to understand this is uh, about getting rid of corruption. Right. What the, that, that's the fundamental issue here. And there will always be people on the fringes in any country who are saying and doing stupid things, but fortunately in Ukraine, that is a minority that is in fact on the fringes. Well, Father Peter, on a lighter side, a little tongue-in-cheek here, one of the things that's regrettable about this for me is, and as I hear you pronounce the name of the Russian leader who's behind all this, it just sounds so remarkably similar to one of my favorite French-Canadian dishes. I was afraid you were going to do that. <laughs> All right, Father Peter. Well, thank you so much for being on Light of the East, and a blessed Holy Week to you, great week, and also Pascha. Thank you so much, Father Tom. And the same to you. God bless you, and God bless your ministry. Thank you for listening. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the Light of the East. To learn more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue Light of the East with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount will be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610 Wilcook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God grant you many happy years. <laughs>